0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast and chilly day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Jonathan Latham, owner of ML Consulting, an engineering consultancy company. Jonathan, Hello. hello. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on board today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word "leader" mean to you?
1: Well, leader is an important person who would be responsible for making sure that his ideas his or her ideas are put into place.
0: And how would you describe your personal leadership style?
1: I think it varies from time to time, but I think What I like my leadership, or I'd hope my leadership style is one that's inclusive, um, that is clear, uh, clear communication, clear ideas, is honest and open.
0: Let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you first started out. Was there a particular individual who shaped the way that you lead today?
1: Uh, yes, I think I was. Um, I started my career at a, a company uh, that is still running called Arup. Um, and the the person who formed that company, a chap called Ove Arup, had very strong ideas about what his business would be and, and how it would be run. Um, and I think uh, that very much appealed to me when I started my career. And it was just something I've, uh, I've kept in mind as, as I've gone through my career.
0: Now, what sort of uh, leaders inspire you?
1: I think um, leaders who have a clear idea about what they want have clear ideas about how they like in the work environment, how they like to work, how they get on with people. Um, I think they need to be inclusive, um, and I think they need to be uh, challenging. Um, I think one of the key, uh, key attributes of a leader is to challenge the people who works with, who he works with.
0: What's the biggest challenge in leading people?
1: I think he's communicating at different levels with all sorts of different people. I think um, getting the message across about what's, what you feel is important and getting those people to understand that and, uh, to coin a phrase, get on board with that. Um, I think that different people have, sometimes have different agendas. They have different ways of doing things. And I think a, a good leader is able to deal with all those different aspects uh-huh. and, and get everybody pulling in the right direction.
0: Now, when some people are not on the same page, when they're not going in the same direction, how do you handle that challenge within the workplace?
1: I, I think you have to understand uh, where, where that individual's coming from, so what, what, what's important to those guys. Um, I think you have to work from the assumption that um, fundamentally everybody wants the, the same thing, um, yeah, unless there's a serious problem, then in which case it's just understanding how they like to communicate. There's different ways of communicating. How they like to do the job that might differ from person to person, but doesn't necessarily mean one way is correct or the other way is correct. So it's, it's, it's having some empathy with, with, with different ways of doing things, uh, unless there's a fundamental uh, change in, in or misunderstanding in, in what both parties want, which is a, perhaps a different solution. Then,
0: what's the greatest challenge of running a business?
1: I think the greatest challenge is finding the right people. So, um, you know, obviously there are many challenges on many different levels, but, but, but as, as a leader, I think it's finding those people who are, who see things similar to your way that will challenge you, are strong enough to challenge you uh, your assumptions because um, I don't always think I'm always right. Um, I think people who can offer different ways of doing things um, uh, and those sort of, those, those sort of ideas.
0: Now, of course, uh, some of the greatest challenges facing the workplace today is recruitment and bringing the right people on board. Um, when you bring a new hire on board, what's your first piece of advice for them?
1: Um, I think the first piece of advice I give them is to um, un- understand what the philosophy of the business is. We're not a very big business, but we do have a, a philosophy. And I think part and parcel of that is being able to uh communicate with other people and uh, perhaps challenge the way the status quo, if that's, if that's relevant. So I think it's, it's getting involved. I think my, my advice is understanding what the philosophy of the business is and then bringing their ideas forward as quickly as possible.
0: So, of course, it all gets back to communication once again.
1: Pretty much so, yes. It's a, it's a vital part of the uh, the, uh, the the leadership process. Um, Skill set is 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 your your communication and and encouraging others to communicate with you.
0: Do you run any sort of mentorship schemes within the business?
1: Again, I think we do. They're informal mentor schemes. So, uh, and we're a small business. We're not a not a large outfit. So, mm-hmm. it's, it's more straightforward, and it can be more informal. And I think you know what we we, we have a, a variety of experiences. We have young. Graduates working for us who are just starting up in their careers, and we have people who are uh, have, have come towards the end of their careers and have a wealth of experience to hand over. Um, and um, so we have an informal mentoring, everybody sits together and communicates about how they've done things and, and, and that sort of thing, and, and the best ways of doing things.
0: Now, as running a small business is very different from running a large one, there must be some interesting, specific challenges uh, to running a small business as opposed to uh, a much larger team. Um, what what are those?
1: I think it's the, probably the fact that people have to be perhaps more multidisciplinary. Mm-hmm. In my uh, working career, I worked at big places where there is perhaps more opportunity to, for, for people to specialise and. Um, be independent. Um, Unfortunately, as a small business, it's very difficult for us to absorb that. Um, We we all need to work together and we need to be able to have uh, multiple skills, dealing with clients, being technical specialists, dealing internally with other people. Uh, And and being small means you you pretty well uh, have to deal with all those bits and pieces going forward. So I think think that's one of the main challenges is, is getting new people to understand that. And Perhaps people who have worked in bigger in, uh, environments perhaps need to appreciate that um, it's not a case of just coming in and and being able to do what you want to do. You need to be able to communicate with with, with other people internally and externally.
0: So, of course, uh, in a smaller business, uh, essentially everyone needs to become a multi-tool.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much the case, yes. I mean, I think, um, you know, there's all sorts of different things that we need to achieve in our working day and there is obviously there's some some scope for delegation but uh, much less scope than in a larger organization and it tends to be that you have to deal with all those items whether it's you know customer care account management all those sort of various items have to be dealt with by everybody on an almost daily basis
0: now changing tack only slightly if i was to press you to objectively identify the greatest leader living or dead who would that be?
1: Oh, that's a very difficult question. <laughs> I, I, I think um, you, you tend to, as you go for the backing time. You tend to look at great military leaders who who have got people to do a large number of people to do things above and beyond what they were perhaps uh, thought they were able to do. So um, you know you can go all the way back to people like Alexander the Great who achieved a great uh, mm-hmm. great amount. More recently, I think. Um, uh, leaders who have, uh, have seen through uh, large changes because one of the issue one of the key skills i think of a leader is to is to is to manage through changes um uh, externally you you perhaps rather controversially perhaps look at uh, margaret thatcher might be considered to be a good leader. she, she managed to a, a massive change on the political spectrum mm-hmm. and then and then um other leaders i'm trying to think of leaders in in industrial Front who have seen through great changes. So I think you perhaps see, um, perhaps more recently, out of Silicon Valley, where you've seen disruptors coming through who've changed the whole concept of how they work. People, you know, from from Microsoft Wi right through to Google and, and that sort of thing, um, have, have, uh, the, the, those leaders have, 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 have presided over a massive change in how we work more recently.
0: Well, of course, what you have in common with those two leaders, of course, Thatcher and those uh, disrupting uh, in uh, Silicon Valley, is the sense of disruption, uh, challenging the uh, asserted norms and uh, proceeding on a path that is very different from those who went before. Um, now, unfortunately, our time together is very quickly running to its close. But before I let you go, what does next 12 months have in store for ML Consulting?
1: Well, uh, hopefully it continues to grow. We've had a a period of growth over the last 12 months and uh, we're heavily involved in the construction industry. So the the signals are looking good for infrastructure going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, So hopefully we can uh, continue to grow and get involved in part and part of the the infrastructure uh, development of the country.
0: Well, Jonathan, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much look forward to having you on the program again at some point in the near future. Jonathan, thank you.
1: Thank you very much.
0: That was Jonathan Latham, owner of ML Consulting. And now, if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett. Uh,
2: We're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary, David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure your delight that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are
3: your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than... Trying to replicate a failed past, and she could reach out to people that others can't. So, I'm I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from
2: uh, four uh, candidates a little further left um, than them, who've criticised even the last Labour. Uh, Uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism.
3: Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in, having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, we we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before. Sure start to nurture youngsters from the moment they were born. Transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better, and anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed... one of the tough home secretaries because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world? Th- those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, An ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, And And climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us.
2: No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideology, certainly. And speaking of your time... Uh, as home sectioning government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described? Ellie? Yes,
3: I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom up. It was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well, And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that. The contribution to... Uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th- those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we mm. are dependent on each other.
2: Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin it, um, uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to giving your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day basis. And without them, half of
3: society wouldn't function. Completely. I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders... In a different vein, I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in his conference speech the year before he stood down as prime minister Conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarizing thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talked to the fans mm-hmm. after the game.
2: Well, everyone knows, uh, David. You know you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. It Can't be easy having to hear the
3: it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week afterwards. No, week. I, it isn't. Although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good about of you. Sheffield United in the Premier League because it it it's change. It does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City. Then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world, so that's good. I I, I could cry sometimes. We can we can beat uh, Brighton Premier League side in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them two nil in January. And then you can lose and then five you nil, lose five nil <laughs> at home to Blackburn, and half the fans were out of the ground by, by the half time what, what would a manager blanket
2: say in the situation I,
3: I would have asked myself a very simple question what went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field they walked instead of ran they didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds they showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game what, what went wrong with the same players who would played very well the week previously. And if you could answer that question, and there may have, something may have happened, who knows, something during the morning, before the game started, something may have gone sour, you get the answer to that question, and you then start to ensure that we never never do this again. Yeah,
2: well, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute. Um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made, actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that compliment you. A lot of criticism that, uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick, perhaps, the more ambitious, the more uh, uh, uh people uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs.
3: Do you agree with that? Assistant? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which, as we record this podcast has not yet happened Mm. and I imagine I I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world you can pronounce on what you're going to do but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it if they're just toadies by the way and there is a tendency a new Mm -hmm. Prime Minister, larger majority got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them but get able people in I I, I won't comment on some of the less able but there are (laughs) clearly (laughs) in the Cabinet as I speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it. I mean incidentally anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, Um, changed their minds recently about Mm. Sky, isn't worth their salt. But part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief, that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa... For mm-hmm. a, a, an easy morning television program. Get out of the business, you know. Don't don't w- do without it. a doubt.
2: Yeah, uh, that's and also I should add that is how, these uh, of all stripes earn that respect in the first place.
3: But there is a question, isn't? And there? try and answer the questions. That's, <laughs> that's what I always try to answer. the All be very good at avoiding them, either way. Um... Oh well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, "I'm I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why."
2: Quite uh, <laughs> the um. And I think one of the great things about uh, the Leeds Council especially is that um, it takes and talks to people, again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different. Whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether as leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership,
3: where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The The second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better You you can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about, and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they, they it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics. You, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do, and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us. It turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Mm Centre three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a read-over in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives, either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognise, which is why being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> a, because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um,
2: David, in the very, in uh, a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? Uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January?
3: And where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above, I'm not. I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already indicated where my support is for the the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January, 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got a got off to a very very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the. Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December two thousand nineteen. Uh, and that that's got to be Lisa Nandi or, or Kia. On on the um the, the next few months, I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having eleven months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though Alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships, in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my family and loved ones, is football and, and politics, I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off. But I am really reluctant. And I think on
2: that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blanket, thank you very much for joining us God today. God bless you,
3: Jonathan.
0: This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye.